This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Safe passage through the FA Cup tie at Swindon and a return to Premier League action against Chelsea on the horizon for Manchester City. Although it feels a bit of an empty January compared to how things have been recently with previous schedules that included League Cup semi-finals. Sometimes you don't know what you've got until it's gone, eh? Welcome to today's Blue Moon podcast where we'll be looking over the 4-1 win in Wiltshire and we'll preview the visit of Thomas Tuchel's side on Saturday. The Athletics Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey will be on the show to give us some insight into how they're doing at the moment. And we'll also be hearing from Howard Hawking later on as well. I'm David Mooney and joining me for today's show we've got from statcity.co.uk Adam Carter Hello and Goal.com's Jonathan Smith Hello Um, Let's start with the uh, FA Cup tie Uh, Adam, did you get down to that in the end? No No, tricky (laughs) tricky Friday night uh, fixture to get to, wasn't it? Exactly, especially with the trains Uh, last train was half seven and the kickoff was at eight so expert planning as always Yeah, so uh, sadly you didn't make it there John, were you able to get there? I wasn't there either, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, I've got <laughs> an excellent start. Um, <laughs> never mind, because uh, it meant that we uh, we got to enjoy it on the television and it meant that we got to enjoy uh, Cole Palmer. I can't decide if Cole Palmer's performance on the pitch was better than his performance off the pitch, John. Yeah, he's brilliant. I love him. He, I, I've spoken to him a couple of times um, since he's sort of come onto the scene um, just as he was breaking through into the first team I did an interview with him talking about you know what his hopes his plans what he hoped to do you know he talks about how he's how he he had a conversation with his dad when he was little and how Guardiola would be the perfect manager for him before he'd even arrived at the club so that was a really nice piece and then I spoke to him recently the game against um, Leicester where he scored a hat-trick on the same day as um, making his Making a substitute appearance for the first team, um, and yeah, he's just he's just a really nice nice lad. He's so relaxed, so calm, um, and just enjoying enjoying himself, enjoying being around the remarkable first team squad and being part of that. Yeah, let's have a let's have a quick listen to the uh, interview we did with ITV after the game uh, because it's it's just extraordinary. I want to hear it again. Here it is. I thought uh, we started well. Obviously, it's a tough place to come. We knew that. We knew the fans would be behind him. So yeah, delighted for the win. When you get a chance, you need to take it, don't you? Um, yes. An assist and a goal. Yeah. Sum up your night. Yeah, I enjoyed it on there. Rodo told me go wide, stay wide, create things, and that's what I tried to do. And luckily, it paid off. Uh, and what do you make of your first FA Cup goal? Not not one in the Premier League yet, but your first FA Cup goal for City. I know. Yeah, delighted. Prem soon come, but just got um, take it game by game, day by day, and hopefully work my way up. And when you have the chance for minutes, you've got to grab it, haven't you? Yeah. Um, do you feel a pressure, therefore, an extra pressure to perform? Uh, obviously, there's always that bit of pressure coming up, being young into a, a team, but not really, just got to go out there, enjoy it, play your stuff, and yeah, just enjoy it. And how has the manager been in touch in the last few days and, and during the game and tonight? How's he been in touch? I think he's been in touch with uh, Rodol. Uh, Rodolfo and Rodolfo's passed it on to us and yeah delighted for him and, and what do you think he'll have made of your performance from a distance who Pep hopefully he enjoyed it just got to keep working hard on it and show what I can do day in day out and I suppose the FA Cup as well for you personally the longer City stay in it the more minutes you can get hopefully yeah obviously just got to keep going uh, try and get more minutes and more goals more assists help the team out <laughs> Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. 
That was Cole Palmer speaking to ITV. I mean, Adam, the, the thing is, I can't decide which is which is the better bit of that interview, uh, whether it's this. Uh, and, and what do you think he'll have made of your performance from a distance? Who? Pep. Hopefully he enjoyed it. Just got to keep working hard and show what I can do day in, day out. Yeah, Pepu, uh, who, who, might, who might be considering this, or if it's it's the bit that everybody picked up on this. Uh, and what do you make of your first FA Cup goal? Not not one in the Premier League yet, but your first FA Cup goal for City. I know, yeah, delighted. Prem soon come, but just got to um, take it game by game, day by day, and hopefully work my way up. I, like Everyone's latched onto that, but I, I think I think Pepu is the bit that, that I just love a bit more. It's just so raw. I think um, this will go down in folklore like the Micah Richards interview after his first goal at Aston Villa did. <laughs> I think it almost sets you up in the in City folklore as a cult hero before you've even done anything on the pitch. And we love a character like this. And certainly he's done loads on the pitch and I'm sure we'll come to the, the technical side of, of his performance soon. But in terms of endearing himself, he's just raw. You can tell. I know that all of our young lads are now media trained to an extent, but that's not been coached completely out of him yet. He's saying what he thinks, <laughs> you know, Pepe, he's not, <clears throat> he's not following the, the journalists or, or the presenters like chain trail of questioning. He's just talking after his performance about what he's got to do, how, what he thinks of things and not really considering <laughs> if Pep may, may be watching him or not. He doesn't really <laughs> care at this stage. I just think that kind of freedom to it, to just come out. And also the confidence to speak on camera. I know it's on ITV after after a game like that on a Friday night with a lot of people watching who might not necessarily be Swindon or City fans and be able to just say say it how, how it is. I just love the the rawness of it. Yeah, John, do you do you think uh, that Prem will soon come? <laughs> yes, I do, <laughs> and I agree with you. I, I I like the Guardiola bit as well. Um, I mean, it's interesting. You, you talk about his, his confidence, and you know, it's not easy. He's, he's no. 19. These teenagers are thrust in front of yeah. uh, TV cameras and people like me. And, you know, one, one minute they're playing in front of one man and his dog and, and all of a sudden they get called up for the first team. Something happens and, and, and yeah, it can be quite intimidating. But if you look look back at, at, at what Cole's done, he's he's regularly put himself out there. You know, he, he spoke after the – he played in Marseille in the Champions League. He, he spoke after he scored – uh, I think in um, in Belgium, and I think that reflects his character, which is one of confidence and belief, and just not afraid to do things. Yeah, and that shows on the pitch. Yeah, I was going to say it's he's right to kind of feel that way as well because Adam, I thought he was. I mean, obviously, it was a very star-studded lineup that City ended up naming for Swindon, but out of all of those names, Cole Palmer was the headline display, wasn't it? Yeah, and I I assumed he would have played before. Uh, we saw the final lineup, and like I say, it was star-studded indeed. But and that level is it almost appeared too easy for him, and that's a good standing to how how we we hope he's going to progress. When I saw that he was starting, I thought, right, this is the game for him. He's going to grab it by the scruff of the neck, and he did that. When he turned the left back inside out uh, to set up Bernardo's open on fourteen minutes. You just knew it was going to be one of those nights. He, he wanted the ball every time. Um, sometimes I thought he held on to it too long when De Bruyne could have been the infield pass. But he's he's already establishing himself in this team that, like we've said, was star-studded. And he's not afraid to get on the ball and retain the ball if he thinks that's the best course of action to take. He'll learn which one is. And it's not for me to say which one, uh, which path he t- took was right or wrong on, on the night. He, he certainly was had a hand in everything good that we did. So it's uh, certainly not a uh, 
a slant on his performance at all. It's just that's what we've talked about his confidence off the pitch in terms of him discussing his performance. And then he's actually, you know, walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Yeah, you can certainly see it. I mean, John, I remember thinking towards the end of this game, you know, he's got an assist. He's played really well. You know, it just needs a goal to cap it all off. And then he goes and does that at the end. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. A brilliant goal as well. But it's, it's how he fits into the system, which is so impressive. You know, it, it, you can see that he's been working with the first team on the training pitch from that first goal because he understands the movement of his teammates and what is expected of everyone in that city team. You know, they work on this constantly. So what he's done there, he's created a space for himself with a brilliant piece of skill. And he knows he knows that there's going to be someone making that run. And it's Bernardo that's, that's done it on this occasion. But he knows that's what's, what is... If, if someone's not done that run, that they're the ones that failed, not Palmer. Um, and it's fantastic because I, I've I've watched young players come into the well. We all have, haven't we? Watched young players get their chance. Um, you know, I think back to when City played Burton a couple of years ago. With that second leg, there was a few young players in there, um, and I happened to bump into um, Simon Davis at half time, and I was just asking him how he thought the young lads were doing because he was the under twenty threes at the time. It's like, oh, they're doing. All-. I was like, I was saying, you know, they're doing, they're doing all right. Oh, they're doing well. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but you've got to show your personality in games like this. And that is what Palmer is doing. When he gets the chance, he's not afraid to to do what he, what he knows he can do. Whether it's when the ball drops to him, he's not looking for a pass. He's looking to smash it into the far corner. Yeah, <laughs> and and that that is what you you know. It's no good saying, oh yeah, no, I didn't give the ball away. I played some nice ten yard passes. Yeah. You're there to to win games, you're forward. You're there to change the dynamic of, of the of the match, and that is what he's doing. And he he's brilliant. Yeah, I mean the, the interesting thing, Adam, when you think of uh, Foden at 19, um, it, like if you were to take a, a season by season comparison, it, it, it would it, that would be Foden's 2019-20 season. That year, Foden uh, he played 38 games for City, started 18 of them, and, and, and scored eight times. So he's, it's it's like it's it's really hard to measure it in that sense because obviously City have have so many you know talented players in the front line, and it's really hard to kind of push your way through. Foden did it a lot earlier than most players would do. It's very. It would be very easy to look at that comparison and say, "Well, Palmer's still a long way behind where Foden was at this time." But equally, when you see the performance against Swindon and and, and you know, in the knowledge that they're not replacing Torres because they feel that mm. that that Palmer can offer what Torres does, what what Torres did offer, you just know that that he's on the right path. Yeah, we're really seeing that production line from the CFA coming to fruition now, um, and just to echo your your sentiment around. Phil Foden doing it so quickly and we almost were screaming for Foden to do it quicker the fans who know nothing uh, and Pep handled it great so we're, we're hoping that Pep's handling of um, Cole Palmer is going to be the same he's certainly got the attributes like Jonathan says there he's coming on and affecting games rather than just partaking a game to say that he didn't give the ball away and things like that so he's going to get game time now I think his form it's been well documented that was part of the decision-making around allowing Ferran Torres to go out uh, to Barcelona. And he's going to get these chances now when when he's getting them, he's going to take them. Obviously, Mares being away at the African Cup of Nations, that might open some uh, space on the flanks for someone else to step in and him to go on either left or right. So I can see this next few three or four games could be really crucial for him to have a, to have a, you know, a, a hand in. Yeah. John, I just I, I want to finish on um, on 
kind of picking up something you said earlier about uh, the conversation about Guardiola being the right manager for him. It's interesting the, the kind of relationship that a lot of these young players have with Guardiola because there's there, there's been a lot of times, I mean, look at the Foden development thing where, where there was all the time Guardiola was being asked, is he going to go out on loan? Is he going to go out on loan and get some experience? And and the answer was no. The, the, the place for his experience is here. And you kind of feel it's the same with Palmer now. Yeah, if you look at his minutes on the pitch this season, right, for the first team, I think, you know, there's an argument to say he could be getting more minutes. But actually, he's playing for the EDS. He's played half a dozen games for them. He's played in the EFL. And like Adam says, you know, he's too, he's too good for that level now. Um, he played in the uh, – I'm trying to think who he played in the EFL trophy. It was a league team. It was a League Two team. And he scored and he assisted because he's, just, because he's better than them. And he played Swindon <laughs> and he's better than them because he's too yeah. good for that level. And Yeah, there's no sense in sending him out on loan to a League 1 or League 2 side to play those games every week, is there? No, but he's also playing for the England under-21s. And that's a good team now because there's some really good under-21 players who are playing for the senior team. But the youth football now is getting so strong that under-21 team is very, very good. You know, you're talking like uh, Conor Gallagher's in there, Oliver Skipper from Spurs and Smith Rowe. And they're playing regularly for top half table teams in the Premier League. And Palmer is, you know, is one of the best players in that team. If, you know, I, you know, I love him. So I'd probably say he's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Easily done. So he is getting the minutes on the pitch and every day he's learning around, you know, the, the best players in the Premier League. You know, he's, he's, he's got people like Bernardo and De Bruyne teaching him what to do. And, and he's keen to learn. He's very intelligent. He, you know, he knows what he's about. L- listen, young players have a, at City have a decision to make, which is whether they stick, believe in themselves, and believe in Pep, and follow the Foden route. Because uh, it's not it's not open to many many of those players. You yeah, know, you're talking two or three players a season. It's open to, and the, and it, there's no guarantees with it. So. You, I think it's fair enough that likes of Sancho or Garcia decide to leave and try somewhere else. Um, but equally, you know, the, the excitement of being part of that City team and having the opportunity to work with them, what you will learn and, you know, you just might make it. And Palmer so far is on the course to making it a City, which is, you know, all credit to him. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, long way to go, but still, uh, still very, very good signs, aren't they? Uh, while we're on uh, the young players and uh, f- and the comparison with Phil Foden, um, what did you make of this that resurfaced this week, Adam? Uh, it was a ten-year-old Phil Foden being asked about Mario Balotelli. <laughs> what is your opinion about Mario Balotelli? He's a good player, but he's got a bad attitude off the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think of that? <laughs> I was fully expecting. I don't know why an, an Italian accent from Phil Foden as well, just to follow the conversation. Um, I just love these young snippets of. Uh, Phil Foden that come out for the, over the years when he's been a mascot or whether he's uh, doing sound bites like that. Obviously, he, he wasn't um, very impressionable by Balotelli's off-field antics. Um, but it's just, I love that we've got someone associated with our club where we've got this whole background and we we were always levelled with things. Who'd ever grow up wanting to play for Manchester City? Well, now one of the young best players in the world is a Man City fan through and through. And we're now getting all these, these media documentations to prove it now. So it's just another string in his bow in, in terms of that City uh, fandom. 
Yeah. John, did you agree with his assessment of Bar- Balotelli as well? <laughs> yeah, I thought he was pretty receptive for a 10-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did I, I don't know if I ever told you, I uh, I sat, I, well, I, I went into a Nando's once. Uh, it was uh, Stockport Nando's, and Phil Foden was the only other person in there with his uh, girlfriend and kid at the time. And uh, the server at Nando's sat us down as in the, on the table that was as far away as possible <laughs> from him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Just quickly on the other youngsters that played as well. Uh, John, uh, James McAtee came on with about half an hour left. Um, I thought he did pretty well, but he seemed to be pretty harsh on himself on Twitter afterwards because he tweeted, not the best performance on my behalf, but there's more to come. Um, I thought I, I thought he did fine, didn't he? Yeah, I did. I did too. Um, but, you know, this is, this is the standards that these young players um, are, are living by. You know, they, you know, he's been brilliant this season for the EDS and he's another one that, you know, we all want to see him playing more for the first team, but the first team is so good, um, it's not easy to break into. You know, he's a, he's a lovely player to watch. Brilliant. He's very, very, very talented. Um, yeah, I don't think he should be too harsh on himself. Perhaps, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think City last half an hour slightly took the foot off the gas once. He, so we, he wasn't part of the City team that were absolutely at it. Yeah. Um, so you know, and, and and City are such a sort of team ethic that it, you know, if, if if a couple of people just drop it a little bit, um, they not you know it affects everyone really. Yeah. Uh, the the thing with uh, with McAtee as well, Adam. He, he came on. He he had that. He, he, did he have a hit from a corner? It was it, there was a corner that was played to him, and he either knocked it back inside and 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 kind of put a, created a chance, or had a hit, and it wasn't a bad hit. Um, so I remember him being kind of actively involved with City's attacking, but like John says, you, you, like you, you can only get as involved as the team lets you, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's always one of my frustrations when we see younger players joining the team. They're usually joining when we're four five nil up with three minutes left to go. When the you know the key eleven have been rested or certainly took the foot off the gas, so we never get a true indication. These you you want to see these young lads as one with 10 other regular starters from the beginning to see what they're really made of. But then I go back to the point of, and this isn't a slight on McAtee at all, we've just been talking about how Palmer wants to impact the game and make things happen, and Foden was very much of the same ilk. And I'm I'm hopeful that McAtee gets there because I saw his goal for the EDS a couple of days later against Blackburn, where he took about four of them on and put it in the back of the net as if they weren't there. So so it's it's in his locker. I saw um I I thought the tweet was a bit uh, hard on himself as well because I didn't really notice him do much wrong. I saw. Uh, Walker uh, lambasting him for his position in the wall, but I can't imagine that was too much to tweet about. So I think that was just Kyle Walker being his a senior uh, player and trying to help the a young lad out. So I don't think there's much to read in that. Yeah, uh, I, I don't just, think he did anything wrong. I, just on your frustrations as well, Adam, uh, Romeo Lavia mm. on for the last seven minutes, Kaiki and Luke yeah. Mbete on for the last four. Yeah. Um, not a lot of chance to judge them, but do you think they did okay? Yeah, I mean, they didn't look out of place whenever they were called upon. It was very minimal. Keiki had a couple of touches in the box. Uh, and Lavia always looks composed in midfield. I thought he did well against Wickham. Uh, so I was trying to look for that type of performance. Uh, he reminds me of uh, Gomez, who's out on loan at Barnsley. So that'll be interesting to see how those two develop in that defensive midfield uh, area. Um, but yeah, if if we were writing a newspaper article, it'd probably uh, be too late to mark. I think on those young lads. <laughs> yeah, um, let's let's have a look at um, uh, in a weird way at the lineup because uh, John, 
in the in the in the kind of day before when the news broke that there was a covid crisis at city with a load of uh, a lot of positive tests there was a lot of angst over what net, what side he was going to uh, they were going to be able to put out and then suddenly it's there and it's got you know 10 regular first teamers and Cole Palmer in there and it's and it's like oh okay everything seems to be fine then um did you expect it to be a lot weaker than it was no i don't think so because i think you know seven seven players is a lot but you know, at the moment, there's no injuries, so they can sort of cope with that, particularly for an FA Cup game. Um, and it, it's just weird that this January, there's just no matches. So, um, what is it? I think they've got four games in four weeks, which yeah. is extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do with um, myself with podcasts. You know, not, normally <laughs> I've, got, I've got all sorts to talk about, and here we are talking about, you know, I've got a COVID crisis. That isn't really a crisis. <laughs> no, I'm desperately filling for you, talking rubbish. Um, so, so, yeah, the the, the the fit players that the players that weren't tested positive, um, he, he was probably always going to go with those. Um, so yeah, I thought I wasn't too surprised because yeah. I think he needs to keep them ticking over. Yeah, my favourite story, Adam, was uh, one player they were waiting for a positive test for. We don't know who it was, but one player they were waiting for uh, an answer on a on a, a PCR uh, couldn't fly down with the rest of the team because if if it was positive, they they would have to isolate. Um, so it was told you have to drive there on your own. <laughs> I, I love that typical city. It takes me takes me back to my Sunday league days. I wonder if they were all following in convoy, you know, in a series <laughs> of cars. Yeah, as long as they weren't having to get changed in the back of the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, just in terms of of the lineup, Adam, um, what what have you made of of the reaction to everything there? Because uh, the narrative seems to be very much that City are not dealing with COVID in the same way that everybody else is, mm. and especially when when City say there's a crisis of of uh, however many positive tests they had in the build up. Yeah. Yeah. this game and then they name a side like they do it, yeah. like, it, it attracts criticism but the truth is yeah, yeah. you look at you look, look at the bench there was nobody else there there's all kids yeah i think this highlights this is the strongest squad we've ever had i think and of years gone by people have said oh you could feel two 11s and we usually got found out when we, we fielded that second 11 uh, but this season i it doesn't help when you get You've got people like Klopp and tribal fans on Twitter that will say, "Oh, you've not had any COVID in, uh, COVID injuries, if we call them that, absence absences." And actually, we had seven playing staff out last week, but you wouldn't know it because of the players that were coming in. You think I think only probably Grealish, if it was COVID that he had, would be the only one that was probably needing to play in the Swindon game. I think that lineup probably pretty much would have been. You know, if we hadn't heard of this crisis and worried about what team we were going to field, would have probably been that level anyway. So, it's I think our strength in depth is now hiding the fact that we yes we are struggling with COVID, but it's not affecting us as, as much as it's affecting other mismanaged sides, shall we say? Yeah, a um, couple of other headlines from the game. Um, Gabriel Jesus with a nice finish early on uh, after helping press the ball back, but then John that penalty. <laughs> oh, I don't. Uh... Just smack it in. I, <laughs> I don't know. He's, I think he's on a little bit of a down in terms of confidence again at the moment. You know, I was just sort of getting ready for the uh, Chelsea game and looking back at the win in uh, September and, you know, Jesus got the goal in that game mm. and, was you know, he was great. His energy, his performance, he was right on it. And I, I, I didn't even think the finish was that great against Swindon. It, the keeper kind of fell over and made it easy for him. I just... He just seems a, just a little bit short confidence at the moment, not right at his best. 
Yeah, but it's it, it's having a, a weird kind of uh, Schrodinger's season, both good and uh, kind of not so good at the same time. I'd, I'd say he's having a good season, but then you're right, it doesn't look uh, particularly confident right now. Um, the other the other kind of interesting aspect, Adam uh, Gundogan's free kick. It was it was pretty cute, but maybe the wall should be a bit further over. Yeah, it was gaping, wasn't it? I you could see what was you could telegraph that, and it was still going in. Uh, obviously, you'll take it and a decent finish. You still need to execute it. Still got, yeah, he's still got to find that gap. He's got to put. Yeah, you, but it was put on a plate for him. Yeah, and yeah, just I think the level of opposition showed into in in most of our goals, apart from I'd say the two that uh, Palmer was involved with, because they were some real moments of genius. But the other two were kind of their own downfall and showed the uh, golfing class in the end. Yeah, how about the Swindon goal, John? Um, gave it away cheaply, and then I thought maybe Stefan could do a bit better with that. Yeah, it wasn't great, um, but in my most patronising manner, <laughs> I was very happy for you know, I was delighted for Swindon. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. If, if nothing else, we can sit, we can be patronising. It's, it's been a long time since City have been on the receiving <laughs> end of that patronising yeah, uh, exactly, nature, yeah. so uh, it'd be nice to dish it out for a bit, isn't it? Um, time now to have a look ahead at the game with Chelsea on Saturday. A win would extend City's lead over Thomas Tuchel's side to 13 points, but could defeat bring this weekend's opposition right back into the title race? To get a view of what life is like at Stamford Bridge at the moment, I've been speaking to the Athletics Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey, starting with a look at what's put a bit of distance between the two sides in the table. Yeah, so I think it's been a few things. Um, I, first of all, I think one of the elements um, which, of course, dominated the the end of year sort of Christmas period off the pitch for Chelsea, I'm talking about Romelu Lukaku, um, that was kind of in the, in the making um, when Chelsea was still top of the table. And what I mean by that is that Really, the, the one of the defining questions going into this season about whether Chelsea would be capable of taking the title off City and, and matching them in terms of their league standard was how quickly they could assimilate Lukaku and, and use what he does best to really elevate them as a team in the final third because it was clear that Chelsea needed to be a better team in the final third in order to match City. Um, and they just haven't been able to assimilate Lukaku and... Uh, um, part of that has been, I think, the deal was done quite late in the window, so they didn't really get pre-season time to work with him. Then they were, I think, starting to figure it out on the pitch um, when he got that ankle injury, which sidelined him for... It ended up being the best part of two months because of his... It was like a five-week absence and then a sort of three-week ramp-up back to full fitness. Uh, and then he got into the COVID protocols and and... COVID's been another element which, I mean, you probably, you know better than me about how it's affected City. I can't really speak to that. It's felt from the outside as if City have been less disrupted, but maybe that's just because Guardiola's built this incredible winning machine there that seems to go on regardless. But it it certainly has affected Chelsea. Um, They didn't get any sort of game game postponements and they they had to play games without key players and and suffered for it. And then, I mean, they're not going to get sympathy for that, obviously, in the same way that City wouldn't get sympathy because these are hugely well-resourced clubs um, with all the money in the world behind them. Um, But equally, there's no squad that, you know, can't be affected by certain absences in certain key areas. And that brings me on to the last element, which I think is... um, Ben Chilwell and Reese James, who are so important to this team's kind of attacking identity as much as anything, they are kind of the the Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Andy Robertson of this team, um, are now both out for the long term. 
and I think that fundamentally changes the way the way Chelsea play and their ability to really maximise um, Tuchel's system at both ends of the pitch. So you add all of those things up, and I think they created the conditions for Chelsea to 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 start dropping points in the league and. You have to say, you know, they haven't exactly collapsed. They haven't been losing games. They've they've just been drawing games, but City have been so ruthless that draws have basically been as damaging as defeats. Yeah, I've just just I mean, just looking at the form, uh, when you look at the league table, it says City last five, uh, won all five. It says Chelsea last five, won one, drawn four, and it's just like it's it's those draws, isn't it? That's the that that's been the real killer. Um, and I mean, you you mentioned the COVID uh, situation there. City's City have kind of been lucky in that sense, in that they have had COVID cases, but they've not been all at once, and they've kind of come one at a time at, at, at various different places in the squad. Um, and then also, you, like you say, with not getting sympathy, you look at the the FA Cup weekend. City had a COVID crisis last weekend, um, and still managed to put out a pretty pretty full strength team against Swindon. So, like, you're not going to get that sort of uh, sort of sympathy from outside. Um, how how is it with with Chelsea at the moment going into this game? What's the uh, what's the COVID situation and the injury situation like there? Um, don't get the sense that the the COVID situation is particularly bad. Obviously, we know it can change very quickly, given that they're testing every day. But um, you know, T- Tuchel spoke um, ahead of the the Tottenham game and didn't seem unduly concerned. They they basically had the same group of players available as they did for Chesterfield, and he expects to have um, Angola Kante and Thiago Silva, you know, kind of uh, available again. I think if not for Tottenham, then then certainly for Man City. Um, because they both seem to be on their way back out of the protocols. Yeah. Um, so, and on the pitch, Chelsea kind of stabilised a little bit. I think the comeback against Liverpool was a real turning point just in the way that this team is feeling about itself. You know, they, they, it, it kind of felt like a win the way they were able to turn the tide at home against Liverpool, even if in reality that was a pretty bad result for both teams um, in the pursuit of City. And then... Their performance against Tottenham was really good in a different formation, which was the interesting thing. Tuchel switched to a back four um, and really flummoxed Spurs. And I don't think Antonio Conte was expecting that. And and Chelsea also just brought a level of intensity that Tottenham didn't. Um, so they, they they look back to their to close to you know their best level in terms of what the current squad is capable of. I just think they've lost a gear. Um, that they had around the time when they absolutely demolished Juventus in the Champions League um, and beat Leicester three nil away from home. You know when they had when they had Chilwell and James really really firing in both wide areas. Um, they look like a far more dangerous team than they are right now, and I, I'm just really intrigued to see looking ahead to the City game whether they can make any more of an impact going forward because City really smothered them at Stamford Bridge. I mean, City were brilliant, um, but they, they really, really smothered Chelsea. And, and we'll see if maybe the system change against Tottenham gives Tuchel a different idea of, of how to ask maybe different questions of, of City this time. Yeah, I mean, I, would, I was going to ask about the system change uh, because on on the Athletic City podcast this week, um, we we had a guest who analyses um, City's tactics and setup, um, and one of the things he was talking about was how uh, the, the the trio of games against Chelsea last season in the FA Cup, the league, and then the the Champions League, how how Chelsea's setup basically made it really hard for City to play. And then you get to the Stamford Bridge game, and it's a little bit different this the, uh, 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 for that one. And, and City are able to smother Chelsea, as you say. 
Then coming into this game, Chelsea have very recently switched to that back four. Is that something that he's likely to stick with, do you think? Well, he didn't stick with it against Chesterfield. Um, he went back to the back three and actually played um, Callum Hudson-Odoi and Hakeem Ziyech as wing-backs, which I, I don't anticipate him sticking <laughs> with against Man City. I'm not sure that would end well. Um, but I, I could I could see potentially them sticking with that back four system because what was interesting about it against Tottenham was when Chelsea didn't have the ball, um, as Piliqueta would tuck inside, uh, Hakim Ziyech would drop all the way back and they would still defend with a five five man back line. Um, so it was kind of a, a hybrid system, really. It was a four when they had the ball and a five when they didn't. Um, I, you know, I, I, there was something quite fluid and and that and flexible about that 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 chimes with a lot of Tuchel's career before he came to England, particularly in Germany. You know, I was talking to my colleague Raf Honigstein about him around the time Chelsea hired him and and. At that time, Tuchel had the reputation, particularly when he was at Mainz, for like having a team that would change system four or five times within a game. <laughs> um, that hasn't been the coach he's been at Chelsea. He made a pragmatic decision early that that three four three fit this group of players, um, and he's largely stuck with it. But I think he's he's not his history suggests he won't be wedded to it if you know injuries or other circumstances put him in a position where he has to reassess things. And I think if he looks at it and thinks that we we don't have our two best wing backs, I don't really fancy Marcus Alonso um, against City in wide areas defensively, then I I certainly wouldn't rule out him going to more of a um, four at the back system and, and just making little tweaks to, to, to try and maybe catch City off guard a little bit. Yeah. Um, just finally, Liam, you mentioned uh, Lukaku earlier on. Um, how, do you expect him to be involved in this game? Is it? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it. I can't get my head around the situation in terms of what's what kind of what's happened, what's new, and what's not new because because the interview quotes from just before Christmas weren't new, were they? No, there was like a three week lag time between when he did the interview and when and when Sky Italia decided to run it, um, which was basically the 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 least helpful time for Chelsea. <laughs> And and kind of came actually just as Lukaku was starting to show signs of life in the team again, um, which which is why it, it kind of caused the storm it did. He's he's been reintegrated into the group. He's he's apologised. Um, you know, Tuchel has made all the all the noises about you know not not um, sort of holding a grudge or or there being any prolonged hangover from this. I think he knows that you know as much as Chelsea, the board, the players are all behind him. Um, that goodwill might vanish from from above if he throws out a player that Chelsea spent 100 million pounds on last summer, and and was signed, you know, as the as the solution to Chelsea's goal scoring problems last year. He knows he has to get Lukaku working and fully assimilated into this team. As for ahead of the City game, I think it's a really interesting question because he played when City came to Stamford Bridge and I think he was he was a significant reason why Chelsea found it quite difficult to uh, press City well enough to, to kind of get out of their own defensive third. Um, it seemed to be a little bit too easy for, for City to hold on to the ball and, when, and Chelsea were forced to hit long towards Lukaku's head, which has never been as much of a strength as you might think it would be with Lukaku and, and Ruben Diaz um, and Imeric Laporte dealt really well with that, if my memory serves me, serves me correctly. Um, so I'm interested to see whether 
Tuchel goes with with Lukaku again, or whether he goes with a bit more of a flexible front line, similar to what they did against Liverpool, where they have three kind of very fast, mobile, hardworking forwards who can who can press um, City's defensive defensive line, stop them building so easily from the back, and and maybe try to make it a bit more of a you know, super high intensity pressing game on both sides. That that would be a lot more similar to the way Chelsea played uh, City last year as well. I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly uh, I, it, that that Chelsea frightens me a lot more given what happened last season than uh, than earlier in this season. Um, Liam, just before we let you go, what's uh, what's your score prediction for this? We've got uh, a charity bet coming up a bit later on, so uh, I like to give my prediction over to the guests. So, what are you going for? Yeah, it's really it's really hard. I mean, I watched. I watched City against Arsenal and it, it kind of felt like they kind of felt like a team that's that's sort of due due a defeat at some point just because they've been winning for so long. It would be only human for them to to kind of let go of the rope a little bit now that they're clear at the top of the league. But I equally they are they have been very, very good in these big games um recently. So I I would probably go with a draw because I think Chelsea are playing better. Um, than they have been, well, certainly than they were in December. Um, and I think they'll, you know, they showed against Liverpool that they can raise their game enough to make it a lot more competitive, I think, than it was at, at Stamford Bridge. I, I, I don't necessarily see them beating City, but I would probably go for, say, a 1 1 draw. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com slash blue moon podcast that was Liam Toomey speaking to me about this weekend's game um Adam how are you feeling about this one uh because like it's weird that well honestly like if you've been brutally honest would you take a point right now oh I'd snatch your hand off easily I've, I've been confident about this fixture up until yesterday and knowing that I was coming on the podcast to discuss it and just had a bit of a look at how they're doing and the Bit of a wobble. You forced me, yeah, you forced me to actually think about it. And um I'm not as confident. And I was looking at I know the historic Premier League stats, but we failed to score against them 20 times in the Premier League, and this is gonna be the 50th uh, fixture. This uh I, granted a load of them were before um Sheikh Mansour took over pre-2008, but I'm obviously being a statsman, I'm very much driven by the numbers and that'll always live with me in terms of, oh, we do struggle to score against Chelsea, but actually we scored six against them three games ago at home. So I, I'm uh, <laughs> contradicting myself, but I am worried. John Adam mentioned there about the the problems that City have had with Chelsea in, in, in a way. Um, did the game at Stamford Bridge earlier this season, did that remove any of the doubt of the three defeats that City faced with Chelsea last season? Yeah, I think it did. Um, you know, because I think there was certainly a, a case to be set to be made that Tuchel had something over uh, Guardiola and City. Um, it, just the manner of the, well, particularly the Champions League final, the way that went. Yeah, you know, City didn't really lay a, a, a finger on them, and that was, you know, but I didn't. I mean, I don't need to go over it again. But how disappointing that was. Um, but it was interesting after the. Win at Stamford Bridge early in the season. Tuchel said, um, "You know, we played like we had something to lose, and we didn't." Uh, but I, I kind of disagree. I think they did have something to lose, which was you know, that sense of in- invincibility, um, and they lost that because City was so much better than them. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the you look at the form of the two sides at the moment, Adam. City have won five out of the last five. Chelsea have won one out of the last five with four draws. And you feel like, like okay, Chelsea not getting beat, but the draws are killing them at the moment. And it, this is this is almost like their last, well, it is their last chance this season to take anything directly off City. Yeah, they've got to come and get something. We we don't have to win this game, which is the beauty of it. Um, I don't know when you when you read their form guide like that. I don't know why I was so worried, but uh, <laughs> don't not, say that <laughs> they're not going to be easy uh, to beat if we if we do beat. But like like you say, we we don't necessarily need to win this fixture. That's the beauty of having this healthy lead that we can just protect that now and almost keep them at arm's length until we can do some damage further later on in the season. But but does a win knock them out of the title race definitively? I mean, like if City opened up a 13-point gap now, does that is that it for Chelsea? Yeah, you can never say never, but you'd, you'd hope that that's an, enough of a gap. I'm talking about keeping them at arm's length. That would be an arm and then some length away from us as well. Uh, and then we'd probably only have to worry about how Liverpool do then but it's credit to us that we've got ourselves in this uh, situation we had a great December that really accelerated our lead at the top of the table and we've almost done the hard work in terms of now all we need to do is match what they do so I'll take a draw all day long yeah John when it comes to uh, let's take worst case scenario in this one and that and let's say Chelsea do come to the Etihad and, and, and get themselves a win what does that do for the title race does that bring Liverpool right back into it as well yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not over. Um, it's, I mean, it's a big, big lead City have got. Um, but, you know, you have to go back over. The results have been great recently, not always the performances. And there's been occasions where you think, you know, another another day they wouldn't have got the win. You know, you think of Arsenal. Um, they, they weren't great against Newcastle, uh, Wolves. You know, this City are more than capable of dropping points. Um, and Chelsea and Liverpool are both com- competent of going on long streaks, so yeah. it's not over. Um, Chelsea are dangerous. There's no doubt about that. They've got, you know, watching Lukaku since he's come back, he, he, you know, he looks pretty terrifying. He's not scored that many goals, but I, I expect Chelsea to come and sit deep and play on the break. And you know, they've got to be careful of what Lukaku can do on the break because he's, you know, he's fast, strong, scores goals. He's really dangerous and he's the sort of player that can cause City a lot of problems if they go about it in the way which we expect them to do and the way they always do, which is to sit on the halfway line, dominate possession. Um, And if Chelsea soak that up and go long and fast on the break, there's no doubt they can win. Yeah, it's is there. I mean, we talked earlier in the season about uh, the issues that that were posed by teams like Southampton, Crystal Palace, and in the way that they played. If Chelsea were to come and do that, is a City past those problems at home this season, or is it still there as a bit of a lingering doubt for you, John? Yeah, I think it's definitely. There. I think it always will be there because it's a it's a high risk tactic, isn't it? And um, if you don't take the chances, which you know we've all watched City enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a game, but there, there have been games where they've had something like twenty odd shots and scored once or something like that. You, you know, it just and if you pack that, pack the box, and you know, teams know how to defend against City now. They make it hard for them to break them down, and it, it, sometimes if City don't get an early goal, um, it just gets a little bit panicky and. And there's always the danger that one ball 
at a defence. You know, Chelsea are obviously better than that, but I, I, I think that I think it'll be a more sophisticated approach. Um, but the essentials will be, you know, get it up to the front man and let him do something. Yeah, I mean that being said, Adam, are we are we looking at this with too much of a typical City eye? Because City have had one <laughs> defeat since the third of November, and that was in that Champions League dead rubber against Leipzig. <laughs> yeah, you always come to me on that one. Um, we should be confident with the home side. Um, we've got the form in our favour. We know how to win these big games. Now we proved it when we went to Stamford Bridge, and I'd argue that that was a bigger game than this one is. So. Um, you know, we've, we've certainly got the tools to cope with them as well. Uh, Jonathan highlights the threat of Lukaku and there's some others in, in their midfield as well. But we've got COVID pending. Um, we've got the, the tools to, to deal with them as well. So we should be confident. I contradict myself again by saying I'm worried, but we should, <laughs> as the home side, we should be confident, but it won't be a barnstorming rampant victory. Yeah. Um, you mentioned COVID, Adam. We don't know who's available yet COVID-wise. We will find that out on uh, on Friday. Uh, but it is a bonus that anyone that didn't have symptoms uh, and uh, now has negative lateral flow tests can end their isolation after seven days, given the crisis was last Friday, because it means they'll be available again. Um, but in terms of rhythm, John, we touched on this earlier. Uh, like in, in Actually having a week off between games, I know we he named a strong side against Swindon in order to give those players rhythm. But actually having the week off and the rest in between games and the ability to actually get on the training ground and 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 focus on on how they're going to play against Chelsea it's a good thing isn't it yeah I think after that December it's probably a good thing to just have um have things a little bit easier um so we don't know yet when Guardiola was back with the first team so um there was they were talking about hoping that it was going to be at the start of the week um but it he will have spent a bit of time well, he, irrespective of where he was on the training pitch, he will have spent time preparing for this match, coming up with a a plan, um, which... Um, I dread to yeah, think. So that, be... suddenly, suddenly, I dread to think, because like we always talk about Guardiola overthinking things. Now, yeah. now he's, not, he's not been allowed to leave home. What's he been thinking about this time? <laughs> I know. Hopefully, he's been watching a, a box set or something like that. <laughs> you and me know he's not been doing that, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Guardiola's always talking about a game every three days, Adam. Um, and it's it, it's almost now like we get to see what happens when they don't have uh, a game every three days. And it's not the opening weeks of the season because it's always it's always that August time when they're still really finding their feet in the in the campaign. Whereas now they've had a they've had a good few months of the campaign and we're not having to we're not being lumbered with with the exhaustion of having played every every like seventy two hours. Yeah, I can't remember the last time it happened, but that, well, like you say, wasn't the beginning of the season. It'd be interesting to see because I, my first thought when I watched Chelsea uh, against Tottenham in midweek, I thought the first thing I thought was, "Oh, great, they've got an extra game in midweek." But sometimes it can work against you, and that rhythm that we've just mentioned, and Pep's really hammers home about how he needs the rhythm and how it takes his ta- his team some time to get into the rhythm, and then we see these long unbeaten runs. That's no coincidence that we've had two or three of those now at this stage of the season, um, in the, or what we come leading into the business end of the season. Uh, because we've had that rhythm, so it'd be interesting to see what seven days, uh, how seven days affects that uh, rhythm, and then we've got an equal gap the other side of the game as well. So it's um, we'll certainly see by the end of this month whether it uh, hindered or helped us. 
Yeah, let's let's have a quick look at uh, at the setup for this game, John, because um, it's it's the league's best defense and best attack against the third best defense and third best attack. So, it, like all of that screams to me is either a bit of chaos for an hour and then <laughs> and then it gets really tight, or it's really tight all game. And I'm not really sure which side of the fence I fall on. Yeah, I don't. I'm not expecting chaos. I think it'll be tight. I think uh, I think Tuchel will have his team well organized. Defensively, I think that with the the priority, uh, it'd be interesting that if it, if it sort of gets to an hour mark and they and it's level, whether they decide to go for it. Um, you know, you think back to the game at the Etihad um, at the end of last season when Chelsea won. You know, City were the better team for an hour. Um, should have had it won. Um, you know, I think. That's probably probably Aguero's lowest moment, wasn't it? Because uh, in his city shirt, that awful Penenka, um, and then then they came strong at the end. I, I wouldn't be too surprised if it went a similar way. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's I'm not sure about the whether. I mean, that was a bit of a scratch City team, so I'm not saying the result's going to be the same thing. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way that Chelsea approached it. Yeah, the game plan was a, was a similar yeah. way. Just on on those three games because I'm I'm still scarred by those three games from last season, Adam. <laughs> but yeah. there is there, there was mitigating circumstances in the first two. The first one they were they, they played a scratch team ahead of the uh, Carabao Cup final. In the second one they played a scratch team ahead of I think it was the PSG first leg, but it might have been yeah. the Dortmund second leg. I can't, that that all mm. blends into one that run. Yeah. Um, and then the Champions League final was obviously not entirely how City wanted to play, and it all comes back round to that um, that. Stanford Bridge game earlier this season where uh, Tuchel didn't play his usual 4-3-4 sort of setup and that that I, I wonder if he might go back to that because that's what caused City problems last season. Yeah, I'm assuming he thought he had our number after the three games last season. Uh we'll we know our mitigating circumstances because we're closer to the club but it can it may be seen as us being bitter saying we didn't have our full strength team therefore that's why you had the beating of us. And then that's why I go back to how pinnacle the Stamford Bridge game was at the beginning of this season, because although it wasn't a rampant victory, it was a controlled one nil victory where we they didn't have any answers to what we were posing. We were in complete yeah. control throughout the game. So I think he'll flip back to what he beat us with last season. It'll be a proper chess match, which I'm now talking up. I'm quite excited to see how that does play out. Um, and I, I was one of the people thinking, oh, Tuchel's got our number here after those three games and it haunted me like it did yourself um, so that was a real exorcism the um, the exorcism at Stamford Bridge and I just hope we can uh, repeat that control performance this time because we don't need to force it they need to come up with the answers this time we we can just carry on doing what we're doing yeah, nothing stupid, everyone. Nothing stupid. So you can guarantee red card inside the first 10 minutes. <laughs> um, we're on £1,020 raised for Man City fans' food bank support this season so far on the charity bet. Uh, they collect donations of food and money outside the Etihad ahead of weekend home matches to help the Trussell Trust in Manchester. They'll be there this weekend as well from about 9.30, so get down if you can. Uh, William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. The winnings are helping them out as well. Um, we heard earlier on from uh, Liam Toomey, he's gone for a one all draw in this game that's seven to one and 70 pounds if he's right uh, adam what are you having for this one a controlled one nil uh controlled one nil will do my nerves no favor but it will <laughs> add 60 pounds to the pot because that's six to one and john what are you having 
A control 2-1. Oh, just so much control everywhere. 2-1 is uh, 15 to 2 and uh, £75 if you're right. Uh, You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. And now it's time to hear from Howard Hawking. He's back this week and he's discussing Jack Grealish's start at City. fans used to love scapegoats. Football team wasn't very good much of the time, so it wasn't a difficult undertaking to identify one or six. Though it seemed as a fan base to have a preference of fullbacks. I don't need to name names. A scapegoat served their purpose, distasteful as they may be. When things are not going well, someone has to be to blame, and focusing on the chairman gets boring after a while. Since you don't really need a scapegoat anymore, of course, we're very good indeed at football, and disastrous signings are few and far between. It's a good time for your football club to be good too, when you need something to pep you up in these troubling times. To be honest, most days the only thing that gets me up is to play Wordle, and I could do that in bed. But I digress, because there's been this lingering thought in my head in the past week or so that City has finally got a new scapegoat once more. It's just not City fans on the whole who are scaping the goat. You see, Jack Grealish is City's new scapegoat, but not specifically for City fans, but for everyone else as well. Let me explain. And to do so, we must go back in time and recall the tortured journey rival fans have been on since 2008. You know the score, the same journey. Originally money didn't buy your success, then when it did, the success came with an asterisk. And besides, it wouldn't last, the shape would get bored and the oil would run out. Except it didn't and it hasn't. And when it does, and when he does, it won't make much difference. So back to tarnished success and calling City cheats. Eventually, as the list of things to devalue City with dwindled more and more, empty seats were seized upon, as you well know. Club size was subtly more important than trophies, but Covid and the concerns many have right now, understandably, about mingling with others in public, has put paid to full stadiums. Then City win 11 games on the bounce, making critics flounder further in their own bile. Then City announced their financial results, reported a profit during Covid times, and it emerged that for the first time the Blues' revenue has outstripped United's, at least temporarily. Desperate times for rival fans indeed, though this desperation has surprised few, considering many of them spent Wednesday struggling with the concept that being highly successful on the pitch makes you lots of money, not just from TikTok followers and doe-eyed tourists traipsing in and out of a megastore. It's safe to say they're not the brightest bunch. So with all this in mind for rival fans and the football journalists with a hard spot for the citizens, there was only one option left. Yes, you vainly attempt to portray Pep as a checkbook manager, but the heart was just not in it anymore, in recent times, definitely. His record is making it futile. So if the team is a machine, that final, final, last gasp option is to hone in on an individual. With the rise of social media and the inexorable march of the internet into every aspect of our lives, It's a natural progression for football fans to brain fart every embarrassing thought out into the ether, preserved for all eternity for me and other immature people to retweet at a future date. Why the need to try and convince the world that another football team is not as good as many make out, or, as is often and more commonly the case, individual players? When City were rubbish and United were all conquering, I kept my thoughts to myself and any little Pyrrhic victories that came along were enjoyed alone in my own head. But now we cannot keep quiet, so Grealish has to be in the firing line, because with City there has to be an angle, something imperfect. 
Grealish fits the bill perfectly. A record £100 million signing. Huge pressure and is yet to set the world alight, even though it's perfectly normal in a debut season in a Pep team. So in pile the critics, reinforcing the belief of the vulgarity of City's wealth at the same time. And perhaps that should give us something to think about. Now this is not me suggesting we cannot criticise Grealish, because obviously we can. I'll criticise Pep, so Grealish is definitely fair game. But the point is that it indirectly plays into the hands of rival fans, because one of their last desperate attempts to denigrate City is to want Grealish to fail at City and not just Aston Villa fans. And the truth is, I have little desire to criticise Grealish anyway. Before his recent exclusion, I thought he was doing fine. Not amazing, but just fine. Patience is needed. That doesn't mean Grealish is destined to be a success, of course. To state that is akin to saying all managers need to be given time, because Alex Ferguson took time to become a success at United. Giving a manager time comes with no guarantees, and Grealish may never prove value for money. I'm confident, but time will tell. Bernardo came off the bench 20 times in his debut season in the Premier League, while Raheem Sterling became prolific in his third season at City. You get the idea. We can write our true thoughts on message boards and the like. I doubt Jack is reading our posts. But the ground, it's different. You support the players. After all, it's hard to ignore the frustration I have endured due to a minority of match-going blues who have had it in for Raheem Sterling from early in his City career and cannot wait to point out his flaws or mistakes during a match. It's hardly perfect, and we all have our favourites and least favourites, but it's still weird behaviour and utterly uncalled for, in my opinion. But that's a discussion for another time. Instead, let's look at a hypothetical situation and its consequences. So imagine, if you will, if City won every trophy going this season, but Jack Grealish was frozen out of the first team and rarely got on the pitch. To an Aston Villa fan, to some Liverpool fans, and United fans too, and others, this would be a victory for them. Ignore all the trophies, City had failed at something. This would be something to cling on to. So basically, all I'm saying is that I and other Blues should have extra reason, if we need it, to want Jack Grealish to succeed at City. Because it takes away one of the few remaining sticks to beat City with. Though, then again, if Grealish does become an outright success, the seat counters will be back in their droves. Hmm, maybe it's best it's a flop after all. Hi, this is Ian Bishop. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was Howard Hawking. Um, we're going to finish with some listener questions. Get them sent in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can DM us or you can uh, leave us a reply on there. You can email us through the website as well. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com. There's a contact form on the homepage. Fill it out and uh, get your questions in there. Uh, Paul on Twitter has been in touch uh, to say, despite everything that he's achieved with City, will Guardiola ever get the credit he deserves? The BBC's team of the season so far this week was Ramsdale, Lamptey, Duffy, Van Dyke, Robertson, Gallagher, Rice, Kante, Salah, Antonio, Havertz. Three Liverpool players, two Chelsea players, two West Ham players, two Brighton players, a Crystal Palace player on loan from Chelsea and an Arsenal player. If anything, City should be given more credit for being top of the table and 10 points clear without having any of the league's best players. Adam, what do you reckon? <laughs> so my first my first thought was to go into uber defensive mode 
And then I realised I think it was a fan-led uh, BBC team of the season. It is. It's a, it's, so, a, it's a poll yeah. on fan, fan so votes, yeah. That, 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 when it became a popularity contest, I, I put my boxing gloves back down and thought, OK, I don't need to go into bat for them. But um, I just love, and I want to just tag something else onto this, that the Liverpool always say they've got the best goalkeeper, the best defender, the best midfielder, the best striker. So we're doing really, we're doing something really well if we're competing against this as well. <laughs> and um, the, the whole Guardiola thing, he's a genius. He's the best we've ever seen and the best we'll ever see. I'm convinced of that. Um, the money argument will get thrown at Guardiola for as long as he... Yes, he only takes the top jobs, but that's because he's the only top manager. So let's get that straight. The boxing gloves are on now, by the way. Um, I can tell. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> and, you, you know, when... This doesn't happen just by throwing money at it. And I'm going to sound bitter and I'm going to sound, you know, it, it, the other teams have pr proved that bad uh, recruitment policies and bad tactics and bad decision making from top to bottom of a club. You, do, you only have to look across the road to see some an example of that. Guardiola will never get the credit that he deserves. And I fear that it will be, and I'll probably be guilty of this, only really looked retrospectively on what he achieved rather than in the moment i think i'm guilty of you know just taking it for granted a bit now and i almost need to remember where we came from and you know, he, he deserves more credit than he gets and that might sound crazy to people who give him as much credit as he as they do now but that he certainly deserves more considering he's competing with the best team ever that we've ever seen and, and not one player in the team of the season so yeah, John. When you when you look at uh, at what Guardiola has achieved at City, um, the the argument I always use is, you know, Mancini, Pellegrini, they had access to exactly the same resources as Guardiola's got access to in in terms of the money, and they've never produced football of this quality. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I agree with you on that point, and I agree with Adam everything he said just before. You know, um, people have spent a lot of money and have got nowhere near uh, to what Guardiola's doing. Um, and as for that team of the season, just stop, <laughs> stop people, stop asking people's opinion. Because I, you know, I, I expected to see Boaty McBoatface at number ten or something like that. It's, it's, I mean, Duff, Duffy ahead of Diaz, Robertson ahead of Cancelo. I mean, Havertz, has Havertz even played this season? It's, it's just pointless. Yeah. It's pointless. It's like the viewers' votes for goal of the month and things like that it's just it, it's it's just a fan driven it's not it's not reflective of what's the best goal just stop doing it stop asking people's opinions <laughs> most people are idiots if that's uh, if that's one thing we can learn it's uh, it is that isn't it stop asking for people's opinions uh, right well that's it for today's blue moon podcast thank you very much for listening and thanks to my guests for today's show adam carter cheers and jonathan smith cheers uh, if you'd like some more, though, we do bonus podcasts for Patreon backers every Monday. This week, Kieran Murray was talking us through his five games that shaped him as a City fan. Here's a little clip. I went to this game with two two Birmingham mates, and one of them had got... So Adam's the Villa fan of the two, and Andy had got Adam a ticket to this game in the away end. And we were driving there, and there was something happening. There was an incident on the Mancunian Way, and it was pissing down as well. So... We were going to be late for the match. Adam ended up having to get out of the Mancunian way and run to the stadium because they were going to close the away end so you couldn't get in. Oh, wow. So it was just me and Andy, and we were like in a queue of traffic like I've never seen. Got up to the the, the, the police who'd like cordon the area off. We're like, how can we get to the Etihad from here with this diversion? And they were like, listen, lads, 
look for other city fans in their cars or look for city bumper stickers and follow them like that's all the help the police gave us and we were like all right okay so i was like andy look there's one so we saw this like <laughs> we saw this city shirt driving but you couldn't really make out anything because it was at a distance and also like the rain on the window and that and we ended up following this car for like about 15 minutes and then he wasn't going to the game <laughs> got down to this cul-de-sac and then the car turned and it was a woman i swear to god man a woman about 75 in a city shirt wound down the window and goes excuse me why are you following me i'm really lost <laughs> so, so, so we had followed this elderly woman and she was completely in fucking no man's land like oh god oh god oh god that was so awful like but we were sure you know because the city shirt it was an unbelievable it was like it was like a fucking scooby-doo revelation you know because it was so surprising when the window wound down and we were like yeah. oh no like i couldn't believe this who it was that was a clip of this week's Patreon bonus show. You can hear the full thing right now at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast if you sign up for just £2 a month. You can get it on your phone as well. Uh, there is all details of how to uh, how to do that on the Patreon page. If you do sign up, you'll also get podcasts each Thursday night or Friday morning without the adverts. That's on top of the bonus podcasts out every Monday. All the details, like I say, on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I'll be back next week, so I'll see you then. was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast